Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve, called to live, commanded to love, commissioned to serve. And here we say it this way, we live we love, and we serve. This is still season of Lent. And if you haven't noticed, for the past several weeks, I've been preaching strictly about the teachings and the journey of Jesus during this Lent season, and I want to continue that today. I'm often amazed at how many Christians, um, and Christians who are well-meaning and committed, Oftentimes, when we say things or ask questions of some believers, what's some of your favorite scriptures? When I've asked people that question, I'm often amazed at how many may quote maybe something from the Psalms or something from Old Testament or maybe something from Paul's writings. But rarely do people, when you ask that question, quote from the teachings of Jesus. Jesus is the centerpiece of our faith. And if Jesus is the centerpiece of our faith, it cannot be in name only. When Jesus gave that great commission to the disciples, he said, go and make disciples. Notice what the teacher said. He didn't say necessarily build beautiful buildings, but we thank God for that capacity. He didn't say go make Christians because Christians was not even in operation during Jesus' times. But he did say make disciples. How? He said baptize and teach what I taught you. So that you, if you claim to be a follower of the teachings of the carpenter, it is to your benefit, to your benefit, to become well acquainted with the teachings of Jesus. For those teachings, that narrative shapes our faith. Today, I want to look at a passage in the Gospel of John that, that is about Jesus, but a little different today. In John's Gospel, the 12th chapter, I want to read uh, verses 20 and 21. John 12, 20 and 21 in the Message Bible. And it reads like this. There were some Greeks in town who had come to worship at the feast. They approached Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Can you help us? Read that one more time. John 12, 20 and 21. There were some Greeks in town who had come up to worship at the feast. They approached Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Can you help us? Come on, family, let's pray. God, may the words that you declare on today, the collective meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. 
Lord, you are truly, you truly have been our rock, our redeemer, our shelter, and we are ever so grateful. God, this morning, let your word do its own work. We will get out of the way. Like the saints used to say, let you be God all by yourself. Thank you, God, for this moment. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to read that one more time, John 12, 20 through 21 in the Message Bible. There were some Greeks in town who had come to worship at the feast. They approached Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Can you help us? Can you help us? I want this morning to speak from the subject, or rather pose a question. How will you help people to see Jesus? How will you help people to see Jesus? It was Passover season in Jerusalem. The people of God, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, were gathering in Jerusalem from all over the diaspora. The Passover was one of the three central feasts of celebration for the people of God. It was a celebration of how Israel was led out of Egyptian captivity, recorded in the book of Exodus. But in particular, it was a time where they celebrated how God passed over the Israelites during the last of the ten plagues that had fallen upon the land of Egypt. They would come yearly to celebrate that Passover. For the Passover, ushered by God, passing over the people as they were getting ready to flee, leave, depart from their captivity, was a sacred moment. It was a celebration of freedom, a celebration of liberation, but more importantly, a celebration of grace. For it was the grace of God that covered them as the story was passed down, covered them as the death angel passed over. And not just the grace of God, but they were given directives to take the blood from a freshly slain, unblemished lamb, slay the lamb, and that paschal lamb's blood would cover the posts of the doors and the places and spaces they inhabited. And when the death angel, as the story was told, would pass through, those houses that were covered by the lamb's blood. The death angel would just pass over. So they made it their business, as was expected of them, 
to not just idly glance over days where they are to honor God's activity and movement in their lives. They made it a celebration time. But this particular year in Jerusalem, as the people were gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, as the murmuring and the buzzing of feast and celebration was abounding in the city, something else was causing a stir. As one of my mentors would say, the barefooted Galilean was making his way on the back of a donkey into the city. The scene is set as people are celebrating the grace of God by way of the Passover. Jesus is entering the place of celebration, representing and embodying that very grace of God. The scripture says that as he made his way in, to the city that people began to lay down palm branches before him and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of God. The people were cheering, Hosanna, celebrating, Hosanna, blessed is this one. In that cheer, in that praise, in that celebration, they in some ways had identified Jesus as representative of God. Blessed is the one who comes in God's name. There was murmuring about the Passover. There was murmuring about the entrance of Jesus. But then there was other chattering taking place. For while Jesus was coming in on the back of a donkey, there were other people who were talking not about Passover, not about the events of Jesus' entrance into the city, but there were people who made their way to Jerusalem, and instead of talking about the Passover celebration, and instead of looking in awe at the presence of the carpenter entering into Jerusalem on a donkey, these people had something else to talk about. They were talking as eyewitnesses to what they had witnessed not too long ago. For you see, these people who were there during the Passover, during Jesus' entrance, began to spread another narrative, a narrative that was lying underneath the Passover narrative and lying underneath the image and the, and the presence of Jesus entering the city. These people, the record says, were talking amongst themselves and spreading the word to the people about what they had seen for just a short while before. They saw a man they thought was dead walk out of a tomb. They heard, not just heard, but they were eyewitnesses to see Lazarus come out of the tomb. And these people were in Jerusalem, not just to celebrate a Passover, but to announce that God was up to something different. And this man was not just somebody who came in symbolic fashion, but he came representing the power and presence of God. And the record said that as they began to spread the word about the raising of Lazarus, the crowds grew and grew and more than the usual Passover celebration because while they were celebrating the past, God was moving in their present. And they now were ready to bear witness to the new and next move of God. 
Can you imagine while people are there to celebrate the death angel passing by, they bear witness to a man who went past the death angel, went past the decomposition process and helped bring a man who was stinking back from the dead and now was living and dwelling among them. I often would imagine in my own mind that, that Lazarus must have been present during that time. Can you imagine seeing Jesus on the donkey and Lazarus walking with pieces of the cloth that used to hold him bound in the tomb? Walking into Jerusalem. When the religious leaders, it says, when, when the Pharisees saw the people weren't just celebrating the Passover, but they were actually honoring Jesus because of the miraculous power of God moving through him. They began to say things like this, and I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the Message Bible. It said they threw up their hands and then said, this has gotten out of control, for the people are stampeding after him. They want more of him. Can you Imagine what it must have felt like in the atmosphere for people who wanted to honor the past to see a living embodiment of past power now present in their midst. No wonder during the feast it said that there were certain Greeks. Oh, you got to hear this this morning. The writer of John makes it clear. He did not say Jews. He said certain Greeks who came to celebrate the feast. You need to hear this. Greeks who had somehow been converted to Judaism and came to celebrate the feast of Passover, that they were not the initial benefactors of the celebration, but they benefited from the benefactors. And they gathered there, and when they got there to celebrate the Passover, and they heard what people were talking about, not just about the Passover, not just about what Moses had done, not just about how God had covered Israel, but now how this poor Galilean carpenter had just raised someone from the dead and did not come in as some triumphant king, victorious over a visible foe, but comes now as a humble carpenter confusing the religious leadership that were locked to a past that was already gone. They find one who they must have heard was one of those who were following the Galilean. They go to Philip with a simple request. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Can you help us? Oh, I need you to just see that. In the midst of all the chatter and the murmur and the excitement and the celebration and the throngs of people, these Greeks, who in another day and time in Israel's history would have been considered among the dogs, not part not welcome into the celebration now, are not only welcome into the celebration, for being able to celebrate the Feast of Passover would have been enough. Now they want to go a step further. We've heard about the carpenter. For the city is a buzz about him. We just want to see him. 
just to see him. I remember as a little boy, my grandmother would sing that song every now and again while she was in the kitchen cooking. Oh, I want to see him. The look upon his face. I, I can imagine that somewhere in her own upbringing, the saints began to sing and echo the words here of the Greeks in John's gospel. Oh, we just want to see him. There's nothing in particular we want done because sometimes doing is not the real profound move, but just casting an eye upon the representative of God's power at times is more than enough. Philip, we want to see him, and we know the people are filling the city, and we've never seen him before necessarily because the text doesn't say that they saw his entrance, but they heard about who he was, and they tracked down one of the people who had followed him. You got to see that, oh, especially if you claim to be a disciple of the carpenter. They did not seek Jesus out, but they sought out one of the disciples who had been following him, and they went and found a follower and asked the follower to help them find him him. Can you help us see Jesus? I can't help but think that the writer of John doesn't use words that are not necessary because, because if you see in the scripture, it says they approached Philip. Well, Philip would have been enough because Philip was a disciple. And, and so that would have been enough to know that Philip was found by the Greeks. And then they could have just easily said that we want to see him. And then Philip now must go about trying to then find Jesus for them. But the writer says something that is very interesting. He says, Philip, Philip, before he was Andrew, brother, but now it says Philip, who was from Bethsaida, and it was amazing to me in Galilee because, because Bethsaida had a meaning that had become the traditional meaning, which means uh, Bethsaida, rather, house of mercy. That was Bethsaida. It meant house of mercy. But in the ancient Hebrew, Bethsaida had another name. It was called the house of hunting. Oh, you'll get this. Can you imagine that those who were looking came to a man from the place of hunting to see Jesus. And the scripture says that that was their simple request. Now, I won't go any further than that because the story is amazing. But, but very quickly, they, they, Philip goes and Philip then tells Andrew and then and, and, and Andrew, well, Philip, well, rather Andrew and Peter were brothers and Philip and Andrew were good friends. If you read the other gospels and Philip tells Andrew and Andrew and Philip go tell Jesus and they tell Jesus and they say, Jesus, these Greeks want to see you. And Jesus tells them, time is up. I have to go and be glorified. He set his face now on the crucifixion. But that's not what I want to look at today. I want to go back to something that we often miss in our journeys as believers. You and I, not who just claim to be Christian, but you and I who want to walk in the footsteps of disciples, we have taken a vow to follow the carpenter. We have declared our allegiance to follow the carpenter. There will be a day with someone who may not be necessarily part of the household of faith, where someone who may not be considered part of the fellowship, where someone who may not be a member of your church, your place of worship, where someone may know that you have now made an allegiance to be a disciple of the carpenter. And one day when you least expect it, while so many things are going on around you and so many activities maybe even going on within you, that someone who simply may know that you go to so-and-so church and you belong to so-and-so house of faith may actually come to you, the disciple, the follower, and say, help us 
see Jesus. And then what will you do? You see, Philip and Andrew had it easy because Jesus was still around in their day. And so all they had to do was go and seek Jesus and let Jesus know there were Greeks who wanted to see him. Jesus was visibly and tangibly accessible in their presence. But you and I have a different reality. When they come and ask you, disciple, help us to see Jesus. What will you show them? What image will you lay before them? What will they see? Because here, the challenge is that you do not have the benefit of pointing to some graven image or some snapshot or some picture. That means that for them, the only way you can paint the picture of the carpenter is to use the words that are available in your mouth. You must let your words be the brush and their mind be the canvas, and you must begin to paint the image of the Jesus they desire to see. And what image will you paint? Notice the question. These Greeks have done better than some Christians. Because he, they did not say, Philip, show us God. Because for some of us, showing God can be reduced to ideas and concepts that we've created that we believe God to be. They were more specific. Show us Jesus. Not your ideas. Not your concoctions that are steeped in theoretical narratives connected to your rapid insecurity. Show us Jesus. And what picture will you paint so they can see? I remember many years ago being in college. And I was new to this preaching thing as a young boy. And I, I grew up as a little boy in church and didn't always pay attention and stopped going to church. And then I felt this pull and call to, to preach as an 18-year-old in college. And so everything was new to me. And one time a preacher said something that stuck with me. And I know we've heard it all over the place by now. But on that day as an 18-year-old you know, kid, what he said as I listened to him in the chapel one day, and Morehouse stuck with me. He said, there's some people who don't even have a Bible. And he said, then there's some people who can't even read the Bible. And he said, for those people, you will be the only Bible they'll ever know. And you'll be the only Bible they'll ever see. That for those people who are trying to navigate their way through this journey of faith, that sometimes you represent for them the faith. And when they come to you looking to have an encounter with someone who follows the carpenter, what will you show them? What words will you use to paint the beautiful canvas on the canvas of their minds? How will you help them to close their eyes and see the barefooted Galilean? What will you connect them to? What ideas? Because it's not enough to give them rules and laws because the Galilean never did that. You can't bombard them with, with ideas and theories to help uh, legislate their behavior because you want to be in control because the carpenter never did that. 
What will you help them to see? This and then I'll be done this morning because the truth is what you paint is based on your brush. And your brush is the one that emerges out of the narrative of your encounter with the carpenter. And your image is based on who you know the carpenter to be. Not what people have told you about him. You've never had a creative encounter with him. Well, I'll try as best I can this morning to make it, to make it easy. I'll frame it since we like, we like points here. Watch this, watch this. I'll give you three words that may help you paint the picture of the carpenter for those who want to see him. Chosen, sent, and announce. Those are the three words. Chosen, sent, and announce. What do you mean, Pastor? Eugene Peterson, whose translation we used this morning, when you open it up and you read Luke 4, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he writes some very clear translations from the book of Isaiah, beginning at Luke 4 and 18, where Jesus announces the public ministry. He announces what he came to do. Maybe, maybe our task as we paint the image of the carpenter for those who desire to see him is to paint the image of the carpenter's work. Chosen, sent, announce. Now, let me fill it all in for you. Jesus in Luke 4, beginning in verse 18, when he announces the beginning of his work, he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. For God has chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. As you paint the beautiful image that is a reflection of the carpenter, you can't paint a picture of the Galilean and you do not announce how he believes he has been chosen. Chosen to do what? To proclaim, to preach a message of good news to the poor, realizing that Jesus' good news to the poor ain't good news to everybody who's been profiting on the pain of the poor. Just like there's so many today who have learned to commodify pain and commodify anguish who claim to operate in the, in the way of the carpenter, but whose proclamations are disconnected from the good news that people who suffer and who live on the underside of our culture need to hear. Chosen, and maybe as you construct that beautiful mosaic of the carpenter, you cannot forget and you must keep in mind that the carpenter believed he was chosen. Chosen to what? To preach good news to the poor. And then the carpenter goes on. God has chosen me. Secondly, God has sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. Oh, my God. In other words, to set the captives free and to help those who've been moving blindly along this journey to capture sight. Sight of what? Not just God, but maybe sight of how God sees them. Chosen. Sent. And then, and then, as he says that, God has also sent me to set the burden and the the burdened and the bothered free. And set free those who are burdened and bothered 
in this life. Sent to announce and to unburden those who walk with heavy loads daily. And then lastly, to announce. Announce what, Jesus? To announce that this is God's year to act. Chosen, sent, announce. If the picture you paint for those who want to see Jesus does not include those things, get rid of the brush. And don't even bother to use someone's mind as an imagination to craft your wayward idea of how you might manipulate them spiritually. I know we love to see tricks in pulpits and to see people become gimmicky and the carpenter use no props. We love to see people who perform on stage and who are able to do things that tickle our emotional fancies but do nothing for our souls. But when people come to you and declare, help me see the carpenter, what image will you paint? And if the image you paint is not connected to the call upon the carpenter's life, I hope your brush has an eraser because it is not going to be a reflection of who the carpenter was and who the carpenter is. I know that we have made this walk so many things. My prayer, my hope, is that one day we will be on the same page about the work of the Galilean. I have known and you have known of people who have done some despicable things in the name of God, especially when we make God some distant, abstract deity way off in the clouds. But when you start talking about the man who walked in Galilee and through the lower Judean valley and taught and preached, it's hard to manipulate his gospel. Just this past week, there's a young man who declared on his social media that he believed in God, that he trusted in God, and that he was a Christian. And that same young man named Robert Long took his firearms and killed Asians in Atlanta. Oh. You might be able to declare that you're doing that in the name of a God who is distant and disconnected, but you can't lay claim that you did that in the name of the Galilean. Because for some Christians, Jesus is too much to handle. So they'd rather be fixated on human-constructed concepts than bear witness to the teachings of the, the man from Galilee. Chosen, sent, 
announce. Whatever paint or picture you paint, if it doesn't include those things, there's something moving or missing in your artistry. During this Lent season, we are called to remember that Galilean. And in a moment, still, where people are not committed to loving beyond the limits of their prejudices, we, who claim to be disciples, must be able to paint a picture of Jesus that will help them understand that maybe they ought to lead with love and not hate. Focus on peace and not power. Be committed to the teachings, not manipulation. And that way, maybe, maybe, just maybe, when they come to you asking you to help them see Jesus, that before they see Jesus, maybe in you, they get a glimpse of the kingdom. Maybe in you, they get a glimpse of the kingdom. Come on, family, let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for this time and for this moment. We honor you, God. Because today, there are still people who want to see Jesus. They stand on food pantry lines around the city. Some of them walk about our cities with no place to call home. Living in shelters depending upon the generosity of people who claim to be disciples. And they still are coming to us and saying they want to see Jesus. God, thank you for reminding us of the Jesus we ought to help them to see. The Jesus who knew he was chosen by you sent by you to announce that this year and every year is a year of divine activity. Thank you, God, for this reminder this day that we all bear a responsibility to not just be disciples, but divine artists who are always seeking to paint a picture of the man from Galilee. Thank you, God. We honor you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray.
Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.